Give me the green light. Give me just one night. I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go. Welcome, everybody, to episode 71 of the Duke Beats Virginia podcast, baby. Listen, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, I have not been that hyped for a Duke game all year. Uh, we got a floor slap. We got to stop the next. Floor I mean, slap things, changed everything. Things are coming back. Things are coming back, baby. Is Duke back? I don't know. I don't know. They're absolutely not, but five. If Matthew Hurt continues to play like that, like they can beat a lot of teams. Is Matthew Hurt going to be Larry Bird or Della Vadova? Like, I have no idea. I have no idea. Is he going to play in the league for four years or is he going to be a 15-year vet? I, I cannot figure him out. I feel like we talked about this recently. We said the floor is Ryan Kelly and the and the the pinnacle is uh, Mike Dunleavy. Like, uh, I, I don't know. They were different players, like. Dunleavy's more of like a two. This kid, this guy, man, I'm telling you, like. But but that's but he never. I feel like hurt barely even like he had a couple like pull ups from the short corner. But I feel like he barely left the perimeter last night. Like they, yeah, they, no, they I mean, just he had a ton of threes every single time. They're pulling him out, and he, yeah. he was getting three yeah. after three after three. And then when he's in the when he's in the um the post not necessarily like all the way down to the block but when he yeah like you said that short corner area or the mid post he's deadly man he yep. had that unbelievable move to the middle hauser went for it yep. turnaround shot like he's tough man he, offensively i think he can he can really go in in the nba i just don't know who he's going to guard you know yeah but again the nba right now how they guard ball screens is all drop coverage the big doesn't even yeah. have to come up which honestly will help him cuz he's just going to sit yeah. there I don't know, man. I think I think the NBA, like we've talked about a ton, the last 10 years, 15, 20 years, has just turned into much more of an offense-friendly league, which yep. which bodes well for him. Um, totally. And and he obviously, I knew it was probably going to be a long night. I mean, when he started hitting those, and like after the second one, and then he yep. wasn't man after the third one, they obviously they did cool down a lot in the second half. Duke did, but I mean, we talked at halftime. Virginia did a really poor job of taking care of the ball. Um, so I many thought they did crazy ones, crazy, unbelievable. Ones. Uh, they finished with 13. Duke had 10, but I feel like Duke That's executed Duke, like, and scored like nine or 10. And you guys, every single what, one seven? of those, um, I think average at seven a game. Um, but really, really poor taking care of the ball. Um, Jay Hoff played, I thought, very well. Um, Dude, that when he caught that oop, when he caught that oop, I oh. mean, that's one of the hardest things I've ever seen. He wasn't even looking at the rim. No, he's done. He, dude, he gets that almost every other game. Honestly, they pull that, and he—it's pretty impressive. Um, they, they definitely practice that, where he just catches it, and I mean, it's un—that that was unbelievable. Yeah. If you, this is the only issue I have. If you had told me, you, we would Virginia would have gotten twenty points from Jay Huff, nineteen from Hauser, and fifteen from Kihei Clark. I would have felt great because I would have expected, okay, you're going to at least get a few from like Murphy and Beekman, and maybe some of these guys. Walter Tinside being out hurt him. My big, my, the biggest issue looking back on this, the fact that Trey Murphy 
who 6'9", 206, is shooting like 47% from three, only took two shots the entire game, and there were two dunks. Whereas a guy like Casey Morsell, three of eight from the field, Kihei, three of 11. Morsell had some nice buckets, though, man. That little mid-range was tough. Yeah, he just he his feel. I feel like at times he's he's trying. He's not comfortable and doesn't. He's like, he's like, am I doing too much? Am I doing too little? And I thought the timing of some of those shots weren't weren't great. Um, but I mean, key the fact when it's not a good sign when Kihei is going five of fifteen when he's putting up fifteen shots a game. Yeah, and he made two ideal. freak. Yeah, we were texting. I couldn't believe he went two from three. No, well, that technically two for four, right, with the air ball at the end of the game. But um, yeah, that was a tough tough ending for you guys. I mean. He bobbled it, kind of lost control of the dribble, and then that ended really any shot because Hurt what, – what I actually liked about that switch was Hurt is so much bigger than him, he can yep. give him a step, which then yep. kind of takes away the speed advantage. And he gave yep. him a whole step and then was still able to get a hand up. And, yep. uh, and yeah, that was it, tough. What I did, I went back and I slowed it. I was kind of slowing it down like frame by frame and looking like what other options Kihei had. There was literally nothing. Not many. Hauser was – Hauser was back so far off the line on the wing. Huff was as well. Morcel had run all the way to the corner. You're basically like five spread around the – and no one's – moving. everyone's just staring at the ball. Yep. And if he's not able to get around and make a play, and obviously he lost the ball, which gave that extra second, if he's not, like, you either got to put that shot up and hope you then get a second chance like they almost did with Jay, but they did such a good job of stopping it. Um, I was really impressed with Jamin Brakefield as well. I hadn't, I don't know if it was free Jamin. I, I have watched Duke a decent amount, but I don't know if he never really jumped out as me as much as he did last. I thought he had a huge impact. Yep. I thought he was absolutely battling in the post every time. Yep. Um, when Virginia was getting switches and they had guys like Goldwire and Roach like guarding Huff, they never really were able to take advantage because at least whether Virginia couldn't get in the ball or Duke was good enough at like getting back and like bullying back in but yeah if you guys um, ever when that switch happened we talked about it last night and you ever reversed it to the other side huff essentially got out of the paint and then duke was able to switch back taking away any of the advantage which i thought was huge i also want to shout out we never get to do this i want to shout out the refs because there was a lot of calls that they could have like you know done a stupid flagrant one and none of them were right like even wendell in like a five minute span and like twice at the same time yeah yeah i mean wendell ran into huff that's it. You know, you were trying to shoot the gap. It didn't happen. And you got crushed. That's how it goes. Then when like, was like, he was, he was dribbling. He got caught inadvertently in the yeah. elbow. Yep. And then what was the third one? The one was, uh, well, at the same time of that, it was like Huff. Yeah. I guess Huff hit. Oh Wendell. yeah. Huff hit like Coleman hit Wendell on the box out. And it was yeah. just, but he's like, just because he's naturally like taller. And I think he yep. like went to box. So it, it, I, I thought it was very, it, it was called very well. Um, I mean, if you look at, let me see the foul. I mean, 12 fouls called on Virginia, 14 called on Duke. Um, uh, the biggest thing for me is, well, the only the only thing that I think was really – or the, really the turning point, and I, I said this out loud, when they slapped the floor, and Virginia was up – what, Virginia was up one, I believe. Yeah, you I, said, I don't think you scored that for – They that. didn't, and that's the thing. I said, this is a – I was like, if they score here – I was like, it's one, it's, it's huge because it's separately, but it also it's, it's so, it's so, it's so deflating mm-hmm. Two, they get the stop and turns into a bucket. Now you have, yeah. That is game my, it, and it was a block. I, I also, right after that, I said, it's a good thing. Like there aren't students here because yeah. this place, like it I would have known, I would have known from that stop that it was a wrap. Like I, yeah. I would not have expected, but I'm thinking like, 
that plays would have been going by. You get a floor slap, a stop, a score to take the lead. Uh, that was a, and then uh, yeah, they didn't score from then on out. Um, but I don't know. I, I thought that, you know, we talked about it in the first half, you know, everybody was shooting a ridiculous percentage. And then the second half, everybody kind of locked up. Everything came back to the, to yeah. the, mean. um, the defense was crazy, man. Clark is just an absolute pass. So is Goldwire. Yeah. They were, they were unbelievable. Both of them. Yeah. Um, I, I think, Virginia's biggest struggle, and this is, and we saw this, we talked about it as well, is um, they don't like, and they had this even last year, like with Diakite and, and, um, and, oh, uh, I'm literally playing, and, and well, Diakite and Huff could sit in the paint, um, but Braxton Key, they were like, mo- they were mobile defenders that they could, you could pull them out. Whereas now, Huff and, and Hauser are not very mobile. So if both of them are in, and Huff or Hauser did a much better job than, than on her than yep. than Huff did. But like, if you're pulling him out, like Huff can't be pulled out of the paint, or else no. it's like raps. We saw that it was a fake dribble handoff where yep. he just like got caught in like cement, yep. and then it was an easy layup. So that's the issue is like you, they don't have the versatility they had with like DeAndre Hunter that DeAndre could guard really like almost one through five. You could worry you didn't have to worry about that. And then the same thing with, with there. So that's what worries me. And that's, it's, there's big matchup problems. They saw the same thing against Florida state. Like they really, they got out tough. They, they shot the lights out. I mean, they just, Virginia doesn't, didn't look very good this week, but all in all, I mean, I can't be too mad about it. It was a really fun game. I'll be honest about that. It was fun. It was, it was that no, no team ever felt like out of it. No team ever felt like they're running away. I, I think the largest I lead was like six it. or seven. I was going to say, what was the largest lead? Five, six points. But um, where do you think it goes from here? That's my question. Like, do you think they can put this? Because the only way that they get it at large, they got to win out. Played like six guys. That's my only concern. No. They, they I mean, they play. like, so. Yeah, but like actually play, you mean? So Mark Williams had seven minutes, Coleman had five and Joey Baker had four. Everyone else was playing like Hurt played 38, Roach played 32, Wendell played 29, Stewart played 27, and then Breakfield and Goldwater played 29. That's my believe, only concern. I can't believe Mark Williams only played seven minutes. I thought yeah. that he w- he did a very good job defensively, um, and I thought he his minutes should have probably been doubled. But I also can't argue with results. Yeah, I mean it's. I think I actually like, I don't think do, like. And I said it's going to the game. I, what scared me the most is, like, I don't think Virginia is as good as their record, and I don't think Duke is as bad as their record. Yep. And, and I don't – and I think um, – do I don't see who Duke has left. Win there are some game. teams that I think they're going to need to have more depth. Like, if Hurt gets into foul trouble, then they're yeah, like – Yeah, they're in trouble. They're in real trouble offensively. But they play Syracuse and Louisville at home, which Ken Palm has them projected to win both of those. And they have to go at Georgia Tech and at North Carolina. Um, Those are tough, man. I th- I say the only way they get in at large is if they win out, and then even then they probably got to win one game in the ACC tourney. Because right now they're what nine and seven. They're ten and eight, eight and, and six eight. in the ACC. Ten and eight. So if they win out, they're fourteen and eight, which I think hits in. It really, it really. Did. And then if you win one, if, in the but that's the thing. What if you even? What if they don't even win the ACC? What if they go three and one? So you're thirteen and nine. Going to the tournament, you win say three games in the tournament. Oh, three games, yeah, 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 for sure. Sixteen and ten, yeah. yeah. If you win two or three, if you win three of these games and then two or three in the tournament, that puts you at either fifteen or sixteen wins. Yeah, you you know the selection committee is dying for the blue bloods to start winning. I mean, dying. You know what I mean? Michigan State big win last night over Indiana. Duke gets a win. 
UNC's all of a sudden looking really good. UNC, like, 40-piece, on 50-piece in uh, Louisville. Like, where did that come from? The Empire Strikes Back, baby. That's it. Hey, hoopheads. We all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com. Spelled A-R-Y-S-E. And use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. All right, so let's get, let's get, let's get into Jalen Johnson. We got to give our two cents because that happened the day after we recorded last week, right? I think it a lot of things happened like right after. Yeah. We got to get into Christian too. So, all right, here, here's my, um, my take on Jalen Johnson. I want to open with if Duke is ranked and not struggling like they are, do I think he opts out? And I think the answer is no. So I'll start, I'll start there. Um, And I, and I don't even know what to call it. Opt out. I'm not ready to say he quit, but I'm also not ready to say he didn't quit because kind of by default you're quitting. Um, but yeah. I think it has a very obviously like negative connotation when you say quit and ob- all these people are like, you know, he, he's doing what's best for him and his family. And that's great. Here's my thing with, that like can't ever be true on Twitter. Like two things can be true, but on yeah. Twitter, that's just not how it works. Right. Like he can be making the best decision for his family and it can mm-hmm. also be a bad look. Like, that's where I'm at with it. Like, yeah, it looks bad, man. Like, you transferred high schools a couple times. You never even really played at IMG. Now you come to Duke, and now there's all this this noise about was it really a foot injury? And, uh, you know, now you're done for – you know, you're done because they're, Duke's been struggling. Like, yep. two, I just think there's multiple things that are true here. And, and look, like – I agree. I, I, I'm not – we're not in the know. We don't know every single detail. So to sit here and then, like, judge a kid, it's hard initially was I upset and being like, damn, man, really? Like you're really going to quit with two weeks left. It kind of is the same thing as what the AD at BC did to Christian. Like, dude, let them finish the season. Just finish the season. And I get it. Like the fact that, and this is, I don't know if this is a fair comparison, but like real Zion, when everyone's like, Oh, Zion shut it down and preserved. And he came. Yeah. He was like, like, no, he's like, no, like I want to play. Like I, and everyone was like, I love this dude. Like, I, and I, I'm not saying Jalen Johnson, you have to be, you have to make that decision. If you, if you don't feel comfortable with it, I just hate the circumstances of, if you look at his minutes played and like all those games they had lost. So they had won, they beat Georgia tech and Clemson and he played 24 minutes, 28 minutes. And they lost Miami and UNC 25, 26 minutes, 25 minutes. But then they lose to Notre Dame. He only plays 15. Mm-hmm. They beat NC state on the road by 16 and he only plays eight minutes and then he opts out. Yep. And like, then obviously they, they keep winning after that. But my thing with that, that shows me like, this is about me personally. This isn't even, it's just about me. Like, even if we are winning, they just had a 16 point road win against a rival. And it's like, I only played eight minutes. Now it's time to pull the trigger. My biggest issue. And like, I, you know what, for you, Jalen Johnson, whatever you think's best is fine. I actually, I hated the way that Jay Billis came to his defense about the camp stuff. He was like, yeah. he doesn't have a camp. 
this it's 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 his parents that's his parents you gotta like and and actually i think lafonso ellis that you know what like he goes i don't think there's any like bad because goodman's the one that originally tweeted that he said his camp thought it was best lafonso ellis actually came to goodman's defense and was like my son's a division one player he goes we call his mom is like the brain trust and like the camp like so i don't think there's any bad i can't um yeah and like we've been saying that word for 10 years now Exactly. And my thing is, and that's in my entire point with him, he's like, it's his parents, it's him and his parents. He doesn't have a camp. You don't, you cannot tell me that Jalen Johnson's parents don't hear from agents, that his parents don't hear from the AEU coaches, from the high school coaches that are talking to the agents. There's the entire point is, okay, yeah, maybe his parents are the closest two people, but there are plenty and every kid, there are voices that are being heard. And that's the point. It's like, yeah, it's up to him and him only. And I guess in his parents to make that decision. But the point is like, it's not just his parents without any information, without any knowledge, without talking to anybody else decided, Hey, we think it's best for you to, to, to hop out. Like, it's not like just a random kid. Hey, we're going to move to this neighborhood because we think you can get a better education. This is like calculating. Okay. My future earnings are for my future career let me talk with other people that are have knowledge in this area and that expertise to help us inform our, and that's the definition of like, okay, like, okay, his parents are his camp, but like they're, it's not just them solely making a decision. They're taking in other opinions and factors. So you can't say that like, this was only on him when they're listening to others all the time. Yeah. I also, I also just wanted to say too, that for the people that think, well, he should have finished the season to help his draft stock. Wiseman played three games and got drafted <laughs> got drafted second right second yeah. pick so the they kid actually put that graphic up I, I was kind of surprised i think they put yeah. it back here like comparing it, to it, was it like, was like you know and obviously two completely different situations wiseman wanted to play and you know because of the whole penny thing but um he played three games and he got drafted number two so you know let's not sit here and act like oh man the, the last eight games of the season we're gonna make that big of a difference i, I don't i don't think that's uh, that's true at all either way though Duke's winning. So I feel good about it. Yeah. Um, and the last thing I'll say on Duke while we're on it, the biggest thing, the reason why I think they can keep it up personally is so their offensive efficiency is 14th in the country. The defensive is 79th, but I think they have, they have the ability to grow defensively. Like if they yeah. are state, if they stay disciplined, like early on, I didn't think they're going to be disciplined enough to stay with But if they can lock in, if they can crit, the defense can get better. Um, if the offense is there now, a lot of that offense is spurned from hurt. They need, yeah. like, if Wendell Moore maybe stepped up once in his two years outside of the UNC shot, it would help. I but know, uh, touch but it, there's touch it, like, I, I don't think Duke – like, I think they are – they have a legit chance to be, like, a bubble team. Wendell Moore is going to be on the top five enigma list of Duke players along with Austin Rivers. Like, Austin Rivers is an enigma because we love and don't love him. I'm not ready to say hate, but, like, that team was so frustrating – it was so he was so ball dominant, but he also hit like the greatest shot in Duke UNC history, probably. So yeah. it's tough. Enigma. Um, all right. This is going to take I can't wait to talk about this. Um, I've been uh, having Twitter Twitter battles with people trying to explain NFTs. I've been I've been reading all of Gary V's stuff and and uh, talking with a ton of people that are Gary interested v's in about it. it right. Gary, of course, Gary V's about it. it has to be. Um, so let, why do you 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 have a. a better general understanding of it than I do. Um, so I would say let's, I, let's just start with what an NFT is, you know, and then yeah. we'll get into NBA top shot specifically, but let's start there, man. Go for it. Like, you know, I, I can't really describe it all that well. So 
and it's funny because I, I've not, I, when I was a kid, I collected and a lot of people, I, when I was a kid, I collected trading cards, yep. baseball cards. I have binders of them at home, uh, which who knows if there's any value or not. And obviously a lot, as most people know, there's been an unbelievable rise essentially in, in that market. Um, whether it's just types of cards, the value is skyrocket. You see cards going for thousands of dollars. Um, that market is, is, is skyrocketed. Now, it's uh, there's been a, a shift or there's a growth in the digital side of that, which in, in NFT, which is called non-fungible token, it's basically a special type of crypto token, which represents something unique. So there's essentially a unique serial number, just like you would have like a, yeah, just, on a just, just on a card, yeah, just like on a piece of art, like you'd have a Da Vinci, like one of this, or you could have on a on a trading card. Um, but what is then taken off is now is, and this is actually it's interesting because it's gone on. It's actually been going on for a while, um, but NBA Top Shot, essentially the NFT is a highlight. It's a quick five, 10 second clip of either a dunk or a three or something like that. They're put into packs, like they're a digital trading card, essentially. They're put out into the marketplace. People can buy packs, they open them. Um, and then now this market has been built that some maybe some of these highlights, there's 50, maybe there's some, there's 15,000. So there's that and there's value that's been associated with it. So the same way that you could look at a trading card of maybe they overload, there's a million um, Ken Griffey rookie cards in a packs and there's not that much value, but then there's the Honus Wagner card. That's the iconic, iconic. There's only 10 out there in the world that people will pay. And so it's really, I think the core, and what we'll get into is the core crux of it is the perceived value. And this yeah. is all being created. This is all being created really from nothing because like I said, the highlights still live out there. It's not, you own the rights and you only have the only person, but you own this one small piece of a highlight that, Hey, only 50 people own this highlight essentially, or own this piece. And so you, for kids at school or kids are interested, Hey, I own this. Or like, Hey, look, I've got this and I can showcase in my digital world. And it's all being, and the big, and last thing I'll say on it is it's all being tracked by blockchain which provides more transparency because you can see every transaction. You can see the history, just like with Bitcoin, you can see, okay, who bought this for what price? I can see where the market's going, where it's been. And it has more transparency than if I was to own a bunch of cards, go to a card shop and maybe get ripped off by a card dealer because I didn't see that it was worth X amount on this site or that site. It's all tracked and it's all digital, which is the point I didn't see. Yeah. And that, I think that's really the, like you said, that the crux of the argument is perceived value, right? Like, so the argument that I've been saying and trying to understand this is that how does the same highlight on blockchain technology have value versus me watching it on YouTube? And what I've been getting back is, you know, why would a sports card have value if I can print it out on my computer? And I would push back on that because we know that the printout isn't valuable. And again, then the pushback from them is, yeah, but the YouTube clip isn't valuable. But I think that's what it's, I'm struggling with is like, so we're just, we're literally, and I, and we do this with everything. This is what Elon Musk said is like, money is money because we say money is money, not because it has value. It's an e- I love that quote and shout out to Taylor Evans posted that it was, he said, uh, cur- something like currency is just um, take away the, the ease of bartering, like yeah. to, to, it basically, yeah, like we, I think the, the world's are in a bartering society and then currency just makes that like an easier transaction. I don't have to barter, like perceived value. This is what someone will pay for it. This is the, yeah. the go between. Yeah. And I think, I think the next big question is 
is is this is this a product of boredom from a, a global pandemic? Is this a product of all, the generation, the millennials and Gen Z saying uh, we are literally creating a new asset class and people yeah. are going to have these forever and it's going to be part of your four hundred one k retirement portfolio one day? Who knows? I don't know what happens with it. I, I don't know. I think that's my my question to you, and you look back on it is. Who created the value in these trading cards? I think it's Tops. I think yeah, it's like Upper Deck. It's those people. It's like, hey, we only made five of these cards. Here's something that's like unique. There's only five of these, like this unique thing. And this is that's essentially what um, what's happening. And this the company that does this. It has this, it's called Dapper Labs, and they have an agreement with the NBA Players Association. They have NBA licensing. So um, essentially, yeah. they are creating this value. People are seeing it. The people that are involved in this world already in the trading side are intrigued by it because one, I use the transparency and we are shifting to this digital world where I have full transparency. I can see, okay, where this is, where it's been. I can't have this like stolen out of my house, like a P, like a card. I don't have it damaged. I don't have to worry about the, that's the other thing too. I don't have to worry about it being in mint condition. I don't have to worry about being evaluated. Um, and just like tops or those companies created that value and it dipped. I mean, obviously like trading cards weren't like, yes, five years ago, trading cards. Dude, that my whole, from, from when, when we I were kids, born, they were, yes, yeah. they were huge. And then I call it to, when I hit like middle school, there was like no interest in them. Like none, yeah. everything dropped. And then yeah. we like had a Beanie little Pokemon Baby. run and Beanie Babies yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But now I think all of those collectibles are coming back. And honestly, I just think it's like part of, like history, you know what I mean? Like yeah. nostalgia for sure. You know, and this big part of the reason is nostalgia. And then, you know, if you really want to jump into us putting value on again, like different asset classes, like, okay, I want, I want stocks. Um, I want bonds, but then I also want an MJ rookie card and a Zion highlight. Like yeah. I want all those things. So I think this is the best real world, like perfectly timed example. I think I can put to this is so right now there's no highlight out yet of the Anthony Edwards absolute massacre of a dunk oh, yeah. on whoever that was. And so who that, can make these? Who can make them? Anybody? What do you mean? Like, how, how does the thing become, how does a highlight become a highlight? Like, how does it No, it's up? only through Dapper Labs. Like, they're the producers of it. Got and it. because they have the rights, they have licenses. So, and they'll put them into packs, but then they'll be essentially, they'll put them into packs and there's a certain amount circulating. Um, and then obviously then the, then the market determines the value. So like, I would, I could get that card in a $9 pack but then it could be if people are willing to pay me $100,000 for it, I can sell it immediately. I can hold on to it for more value. If I think like, just like a car would be, you take that risk, like, but you can see, okay, how many there are made, are they going to continue to make more or is it done? Like if it's an LE, it's limited edition. It means there's yeah. no more of those are going to be made. If it's CC, it's still circulating. So like, you don't know exactly how many, but for that example, like you see that and say that Dapper Labs comes out and says, we're only going to make 25 of those highlights and only 25 people in the world own that highlight. Same as like, we're only going to make 25, this type of Zion rookie card. And, and then like, how, do, how do people buy them? Is it a bidding system or you just flat? No, it's you list it. So there's like a lower listing. Everything is on, everything is listed and you have a lowest price and everything. There's more value. The crazy ones, actually, if you have the player's number, so a number 23 LeBron will go for like $10,000. That's and a, the number one is more valuable than the number like 10,000. If there's 10,000. And where do you, where do you, what is the site? Like, where can I it's go? It's just right? on, it's just NBA top shot, um, NBA top shot.com. And it's just, a, it's still technically a beta and there's packs, there's marketplace.
But the thing is, and the reason why personally, like I think it's a, a at least for the short term, it's a good investment is the pack. You can't just buy, buy packs like consistent. Like that's, there's scare, there's real scarcity. And like, I can't go on right now and just buy a pack and flood the market. They drop packs every once in a while. Uh, they'll announce it a little bit. And you basically have to join in this portal. And it's almost like luck of the draw if you can even get one. You can't. And so it's not like, and that's what makes the scarcity. That's what makes the market rates. Because now you've got guys like JJ Redick. You've got guys like Josh Hart. You've got these players that are hyping it up. People that know nothing about it. They're like, what is this stuff? I want to get in there seeing all these this value behind these. Like, I want to get in on this but they can't get packs. The only way is they can buy cards. So you either have to wait to get packs and hope you get lucky and then sell those, or you got to buy in and try and then make your margins on selling those. So I think in the short term, the more hype as this grows, uh, it'd be great. The only worrisome thing is as more highlights continue to go out, does the market- like, Yeah, it's endless. I mean, highlights are endless. All, they are, they're endless. And, and so that's the thing, it's like, but that's the point of like, okay, the really special ones, yeah, like that, the really special ones that you're only making 50, 100 of those will k- keep their value. I think what we're seeing now is like any card, like the cheapest card is like $10. So like, but no one really cares about like, there's a Dylan Brooks, like layup that's yeah. going for 15 in like two years. I, there's no way you're telling me that 15,000 those like that you can get that right now it is because people think like you're, you're climbing that ladder, but I think the point is if you can get like a Zion, you can get a LeBron, any of the rookies that have a lot of potential, any of the big stars that are going to be like Hall of Fame players, yeah. that's what people are seeing to invest in. Because and then you can sell them back. Like, 100%. Yeah. And that's the point. You can see full transparency of like who you bought it from, what they paid for it, who they bought it from, what they paid for it, that whole transition. Um, and, and Jeremy Guy has been on the pod. He's the one that's really gotten me up to speed with all this. He, he bought a Kyrie card that I think, for, I don't know exactly how much spent. Someone took a loss on it, but then now that the market is raised, he could sell that and the, the lowest value, he could sell that and already make a profit off of what he paid for it. So wow. it's, it's interesting. Like, it's just a, it's a crazy world. I, it's, I'm not saying by anyone sink your 401k into this by any means, but I do think if you're interested in like pseudo kind of investing or anything, it's, but this is in basketball is like a passion. I think for a lot of people, it's more enjoyable or more exciting to invest in like things that they're invested in just from a personal standpoint than maybe investing in like a small tech company that you really don't know a ton about, you know? So. Yeah. It's been a, uh, it's been a journey of a, I really dug in like this week trying to just understand it because now, I mean, yeah, you saw like Reddick's tweet yesterday about NBA top shot to the moon. Like now, you know, People are getting into it. People and Josh Hart was tweeting about his layup. Like I should have bought. He was joking. Like I should have bought my layup for ten dollars. Now it's worth forty or something like that. A couple of weeks ago. So it's yeah, all it's it's what people are willing to pay. It's it's. Yep. So I saw a tweet there. So it was like at one point in the world, tulips were worth more than gold. And it's like, gonna be a fantastic. And for anybody who's in college taking like macroeconomics, microeconomics, oh like I'm sure this is gonna be a case study like tomorrow. Like yeah, this kind of is like a microcosm of the entire economy. Like we think yeah. there's value here. So we're going to put money in it. That's it. And you can say it's a dumb and like people can say it's, and I think like, honestly, I, I agree. I think the concept is pretty dumb because I can look up any highlight I want, Why? but I, I'm not, I, but the reason why I, I don't know, I'm not saying I believe in it, but the reason why I see yeah, like, the it. reason why I'm intrigued by it is because there are people willing to, I see the transactions that are happening. I see that there is a market for this. Yeah. Now, can you get caught holding the bag? Like everyone say, like GameStop and the bottom fall out? 
Yes. Yeah. That's why I'm not dumping thousands and thousands of dollars into it. But just, it's I'm interesting. As dumb as you think it is, if there's a market there, it's same with same with Pokemon cards. Like I'm just trying to get the value think, from these. You might think Pokemon might be the dumbest thing in the world. There was a there's a huge market there. PD Maravich, baby. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to get some value from these. You know, that's, yeah. that's let me let me sell all my cards. I am excited to go back to Virginia and get my whole collection and see oh, it's, like it's so much fun. What it's so much fun. What could be big and yeah. be really interesting. Um, all right. Well, that uh yeah, that was deep, long, that's probably the deepest we've uh intellectually yeah. gone on uh yeah, in a, in on, a while. On that was a long session. So let's let's fire through some uh some topics and then we'll get into the bubble watch. But um we it was kind of weird timing for us to talk about Boston College last Sunday and then Monday or Tuesday morning they actually fired Jim Christian because we were talking, we were speculating that they would and uh, who they would hire. But um, we also were assuming that the AD would wait until the end of the season, and he doesn't. I've never understood this. Um, I, I never will understand it. I think it's uh, unprofessional no matter how bad the coach is. Just wait 14 days, maybe even less, um, yeah. and let him finish the season. Let the coach finish the season. So yeah. I think it's I think it's, it's ridiculous that ADs do that. I don't think that's fair. Um and who knows, you it's know, now, now the he, team is just in dis, you know, the team's just like, what the hell are we doing now? Yeah. And it's, I think it's really, I don't want to say a slap in the face, but like, like Stefan Mitchell is a four-year starter for them. He's a senior and you're basically saying, Hey, um, you want to talk about kids who should opt out. I'm done. Yeah. Like, like, like oh, your, last, your last three weeks don't matter. Like we're just throwing the towel because yep. we're on to the next. Like, yep. Then, then, then we should just be, you know, do what Maine did. Uh, we're done for the season. We'll it, see you next year. It is. And it's funny. Like there's some things I really, I, I agree with Jeff Goodman on. There's some things I couldn't, I, I couldn't disagree more. With. He has been from, and I know this from literally being invested in coach Christian and being literally sitting in his office, like right after he accepted the BC job, Jeff Goodman crushed the hire. He hated it. Absolutely hated it. He's been critical. He's, he lives in Boston himself. He's been critical of it from probably the past five years. And he came out and was like, this is a complete BS move by Boston college. It is, it makes no sense. And really the only people and people were crushing him and they're saying like, uh, it was really the, the pushback was from BC fans because they're, they're tired. They haven't been winning. And I get it. Like, they're like, it doesn't do us any good to hold on to it. And it's so funny because he actually went on a pod. I listened to a little bit yesterday. Goodman went on a BC like fan podcast, essentially. Um, it's called fourth and dude. Um, and Basically, they, they had these counter art. He was like, it does you no good. You have all those conversations behind closed doors already. Like Pat Kraft, the AD, is talking with Porter Moser's agent. That's the point of like, he's talking with John Beeline's agent. He's talking with all these people already. And, and their arguments, the funny two things they tried to bring up was, oh, well, what, like, don't you think it's worse if a story leaks out that like the AD is already talking to another coach? And he goes, you want me to be honest with you? He goes, story already had. I found last week that the AD was sitting down having lunch meetings with agents of other college basketball coaches. He goes, I didn't report that because like it's already like a foregone conclusion that Jim Christian was probably going to be let go at the end of the season, if not like automatic. He goes, so it doesn't mean, it's like, it's not me breaking any news, like all this AD, like no one's throwing him under the bus. So you don't have to worry. Like they're already having those conversations. So you don't need to let go of the coach to be able to validly say that. Their other argument, their second point was, Oh, well, maybe Scott Spinelli will interview for this job and he'll be a candidate. So don't you want to see maybe what he gives you outside that? I'm like Scott Spinelli is not a real candidate for this job. Be be honest. He's brought in some good recruits. 
He's been on the staff from day one with Jim Christian. He's never been a head coach. Scott Spinelli's not getting that job. So don't say that if they won their next six games with Scott Spinelli, that that gives him any greater of a chance to get that job. They're going after someone else. And it's for me, I think it's an ego. It's an ego move by the AD of just like, I'm, I'm laying all. And there's probably a lot we talked about last week. There's probably friction there. The fact that it started when they were going to make him play with four scholarship players. It just showed like, I'm throwing in the towel on you. I don't really care about the players. We're on to building what's next. But I think it's a slap in the face of the guys that are in the program right now. Yep, I agree. I agree. I, mean, uh, I, like, I just went on it. It's, it's, no, I don't see any benefit. Like, I think the two counter arguments you have are snuffed out immediately. Um, when that the rumors are already out there, everyone knows it's a foregone conclusion. The conversation is already happening, and yep. you're not hiring the guy that you're making the interim. So, like, what's the yep. point? Um, all right, let's go to uh, on this episode of basketball is a rudderless ship with uh, no no leadership and the biggest contradictions uh, almost every week. Let's start with the NCAA is going to allow 25% attendance uh, for the final or no for the NCAA tournament. Great. Love it. Super happy for everyone that can go. Big East won't allow fans. What? What? And then and then the McDonald's All-American game is canceled. What are we doing? Are we allowing basketball or are we not allowing basketball? Just pick. We don't. We haven't picked a lane ever. Not ever. We don't ever pick a lane. Don't. I mean, we don't have the shot clock. We do have the shot clock. It's thirty-five years. Twenty-four years. Same argument we've had. Unify. I, I, I can't do it, man. I can't. How is I, how is a high school basketball? We've played high school. I've been coaching high school basketball for five months. We can do it. We can do it. We can have a McDonald's All American game. It's okay. Like, how, how do we not have that? But then we're allowing people in to watch college athletes you think it's just some people in Oregon they are scared to take on risk and liability and others aren't like or it's just the perceived like the how they're perceived is the biggies is the biggies going to MSG I didn't even see that I don't even know I believe they are but it's and and I saw like the Atlantic 10 is flipping their weeks and things like that um I mean so they're playing Lucas Oil Stadium which is a huge Bankers Life Fieldhouse Hinkle which is small Indiana the college yeah Farmers Coliseum and Mackey Arena Assembly Hall will allow 500 spectators to attend games there, Indiana University said. I wonder, like, what they have now. Um, but I, I'm literally speaking from experience. Like, this is, as a fan, one, it's fresh. And I get it. Like, I've been cooped up in my house for, like, we all have most for months. But, like, Virginia played at Duke last night. I have a friend that's on the Virginia staff that had two tickets that would have been available for me as a fan. Like, but they're only, letting, like, immediate family members. There's no... No, and even if it was just player pass list, is no, that's not even good. It's you have to be an immediate family member. So like I couldn't go. Same thing at NC State. Like Virginia played down here, couldn't go. It's 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 just there's no unifying, and that's why I think once again, it, I don't want to put this all in the NCAA. No, it's not. It's, it's not. But it's but, but if the NCAA like it's same thing. They don't have. We talk about this with like coming down on coaches and like the authority and the jurisdiction to do things. It's like they don't have the authority and jurisdiction to be like, you guys, you guys can do this. You guys can't do that. Everyone's doing this. It's like, and not to bring politics. It's like you're, some people want the federal government to have more power. Some people want the States. It's exactly like the conferences are the States. Yeah. Let the States decide, let the conferences decide. NCAA, we're going to do it this way. It's like, I don't know. It, it, it's frustrating. It's like, I, I'm literally I personally living in the heart of college basketball right now. I haven't been able to, even if I have all the connections, any relationship with anybody to go see people I'm friends with, can't even go. But then I, you've got this happening. So it's, 
as long as the games are being played, that's, I mean, I, I, I'm sitting here on it. So I, I, I can't complain because we didn't even get a tournament last year, but who knows? Yeah. No doubt. Um, all right, let's get into Cleveland State. Not a team uh, that we normally talk about, but I, you know, you and I have talked about them, and I actually Taylor again, second mention of uh, Tay Dism on the podcast. But um, he texted me a couple uh, a couple days ago, like, "What is going on with Cleveland State basketball, and why are they all of a sudden really good?" Um, and I don't know if people have seen them or saw them or even heard about them this year, but they're 16 and seven overall. They're 16 and four in conference. Um, and if you remember way back when to when their season actually started, they started 0 and 3 with one of the most embarrassing losses to Ohio, the state university, 101 to 46 in Ohio. I can't remember the run, but essentially went on like a 40 to 0 run. Um, and from there, they've lost two games since. Oh, no, more, a little bit more than that four games since, but as yeah, they've gone 16 and four since and all conference yeah, and all conference games. Yeah. You take 16 and four in the horizon league any year. Yeah. Any no year. doubt. No doubt. I mean, an uh, unbelievable run. So and, yeah, yeah Dennis Gates, I was going to say shout. I mean, Dennis Gates came from Florida state. This is year two yeah. this is year two. Um, and already, I, I already saw an article saying he's getting mentioned for BC. Could you imagine that? It's crazy. I mean, it is really interesting. So I want to just put this into context because I think this is the best way to kind of describe it is so Cleveland state actually was, I mean, when they had Norris Cole and they were really, they were good like 2010, 2011. Yep. Um, they yeah, went 27 and nine, 22 and 11. They went to NIT two years in a row. Um, even 2013 and 14, uh, we played in my, we actually played in my senior year at Ohio. We beat them. They went 21 and 12 lost in CIT. And in 2014, 2015, um, they went 19 and 15. So that was the last time they were good. Um, Gary Waters, who was the coach at the time, had two more seasons. They went nine and 23 and nine and 22. Uh, in 15, 16, 16, 17. Dennis Felton took over. They went 12 and 23, 10 and 21, 11 and 20. And then Dennis Gates takes over last year. So Dennis Felton only lasted two years. Dennis Gates comes in 11 and 21 last year, 16 and seven this year, 16 and four in conference. So like you went from nine, nine, 12, 10, and then like you keep it one year and then it's turn around, locked up the horizon league, regular, the conference, regular season automatically 16 and four. Um, it's, it's in a, a job. It's like, I'm not saying it's an impossible job, but it's not, no, a, but it's like, not a great one. Not a great one. Like, not a great one by any means. Like you look in that conference, like there's good teams, there's good programs. Um, you, and you ready for this um, random? I just was, I was pulling up this uh, article about maybe him being mentioned for Boston College. How about him being married to the senior associate athletic director Jocelyn Gates, who's at BC? Did How does that. that work? Did not know that. That's really interesting. And what's wild is I assume like you don't you don't just uh, overnight become an associate athletic director. So she's probably been doing this for as long as he's been coaching. And he's been at Marquette, Florida State, California, Northern Illinois, and Nevada. Just got this first head coaching job, obviously at Cleveland State. So I wonder. Oh. I got to Google her bio now too. Is like, have they just been doing long distance for twenty years? I mean, like, or or does or is this part of the package? Like, he gets a deal and then she comes along, or or vice versa. Like, she gets an AD spot and says, "Hey, my husband's an assistant coach. Can I bring him?" Like, that's you know what's actually, yeah. You know what's so crazy? And this is, and I'm not. I, I, we're pumping him up like heavy now. But what's so crazy is if you look. So 20, 2019, 
they were, and this is looking at defensive efficiency, they were 309th in the country. So bottom 50 in the country and, 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 uh, and team defense 2020 Dennis Gates takes over 250th. So they make like a little bit of a leap. They move up, they, they get better a little bit. And then 2021, now they are 117th in the country. So in a two year span, and that's really the, the offense is still 218th. They're not great offensively. Um, but it shows, I think, I mean, people, you want to build things the right way. These are the steps. Like you want anyone, you want seeing anyone to take, it's like you went from the top bottom 50 defensive team to a top 117, like top 120 team in the country. Um, and they've won some tight games. They've won a few blowouts. They've won like, honestly, a lot of their games have been like within 10 points, a lot of one 63, 61, 66, 64, 74, 71, like 80, 78, like they're, they're winning tight games there. And, and it's with a team that I'm looking at their roster, junior, senior, senior, junior, junior, senior, junior, junior, like they're a, a, definitely a veteran team, but the fact that he was able to take them over the hump and I'm sure he's had a lot of transfers and a lot of um, guys that come in out of the blue, but it's one of the more impressive, like quick turnarounds in a job. That's like not unbelievably easy. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, I'm ready to as, as impressive as Dennis Gates is his wife is more impressive. So done some digging. Um, she went to Howard, uh, graduated in 03 and then worked at Duke for five years. So she was the special assistant to the vice president for about three years and then assistant director of athletic development, then went to University of South Florida, which how far is USF from FSU? Not close, right? Tampa, USF's Tampa and then Tallahassee's up north. north. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. our, so I, again, like, I don't know how necessarily they met or when they met, but I assume in that time. Um, and then she got to Boston College in 2017 and has been there ever since. Like, she's a badass dude. Like, could be. Like, we say this, that this is, I just pulled up the top thing that comes up as of, um, I'm not sure when this article came out, but senior associate athletics director and senior woman administrator, Jocelyn Gates is NCAA division one yeah. FBS Nike administrator of the year chosen by women leaders in college sports. Described yeah, as the premier. Like they're ha- the they're- gates are having a year. Like we talk about um, uh, uh, Kevin white and Mike white and all that uh, are all connected. Yo, oh, the man. gates family, the gates family's coming for it. Like, yeah. and then Armand gates as well that he, he's been uh, taught. He brought, he really Armand gates was one of the main reasons that Northwestern, they brought like when Chris Collins came in, he was the guy that recruited all those top dudes that when they were able to make the tournament, uh, I know he's bounced around. He's been in Nebraska. I'm not actually, actually sure exactly where he is right now, but this yep. might be like eventually like the first family of like college athletics here soon. Seriously. Like we're hyping them up, but yeah. Very um, impressive. All right. So let's, let's run through the last thing of bubble watch, uh, bubble watch. Um, the athletic released, you know, their, their big article about everything. I actually disagreed with a lot of their locks and should be in like for the, let's let's jump into the ACC. They have one lock and it's Virginia. Like, no, man, there's three, there's three locks. And and this, and it's weird too, because this came out two days ago after Florida state just dismantled Virginia. Yeah. Like Virginia, Florida state and Virginia tech are locks for the tournament without a doubt. Now, now the work to do slash should be in is Clemson, Louisville, Syracuse, North Carolina. But honestly, at this point, North Carolina should be vaulted into the should be in category. You know, 14 and and Louisville didn't do themselves any favors yesterday by losing by 40. I think they will be in probably, but I don't know. Uh, They play like Louisville's 
11 and four, six and three in the conference. They're 33rd in the net. Um, they play Virginia still left. I don't know who else they've got. So they have some chances to get um, some marquee wins. Let's see. Louisville, had, they've been on some big pause. Like they haven't played that much. I don't know if that's like, that's the interesting thing. Like, is that helping them or hurt? They play Notre Dame, Duke, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. They have to, they, and they have to beat Notre Dame. But those are three wins that can, those are, I think, resume wins. Duke's not obviously a tournament, but like if you're comparing at the end of the day, if it's going to come down to like Duke and Louisville, you look at the head to head, maybe. Yeah, as long as as long as Duke beats them in a week. They've beaten Duke once. Talk but. about the talk about the worst year that the ACC has had in in a decade, right? Not even. I mean, it's ugly. It's pretty ugly. I mean, got to be the worst did, year that I, I can even remember. I don't, by any mean, I saw an article recently. I don't know who wrote it, basically saying that like the ACC's plan is like failing, like by bringing in all these. Yeah. I I don't think that by any means because like this one year because they have been like because it's basically comparing look how good the Big Ten is top to bottom. Look how much AC struggling. I think this is a such an off year. Um, yep. I mean, you look at national, like they have so many national, like Big Ten hasn't had a national champion since. That's what I'm saying. Open. We yeah, how many times have we said Virginia's that? got three in the last ten years? I think. I mean, the ACC. Yeah. The ACC. Yeah. Um, so I, I, Syracuse is an interesting one. They stormed back against Notre Dame yesterday. Uh, I think they I were know. down forty to twelve. Forty biggest, to twelve. Biggest comeback in uh, Syracuse uh, in the last ten years. How about that? And they always – they're the one. They always fi- seem to find a way to get in when they're on the bubble. Always. Like, always there, there was a always. year like four or five years ago they had no business getting in, and then they went to the Sweet 16. It was unbelievable. So we'll take that of – let's. Uh, I'll give your, we'll end with ACC on this one. Virginia, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Clemson, Louisville, Syracuse, North Carolina. That's seven teams. Let's add Duke in there as an eight, as a potential eight. How many do you think they get – how many do you think they get in of those eight that have – Five. Five. I think five. Yep. So you're saying probably Virginia, Florida State – Virginia Tech, Clemson. And then two of the aforementioned Syracuse, Carolina, and Duke. Yeah. I think North Carolina is going to get in. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. Five, which would actually be six. That would be six if you get all of them. So, yeah. 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 I think that's fair. Um, But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Big 12's next one. Yeah. Again, I, I disagree with their locks and should be in. Like, yes, Baylor, West Virginia, Oklahoma, locks for sure. But so is Texas Tech. And so is yeah. Texas. They Texas has been like teams. in a free fall, but I, I, I they got kind of screwed last night, yesterday against West Virginia. But I think they're locks to get in. Yeah, I, I, I just I, don't understand. Oklahoma that. State, I Oklahoma State. So that they've pushed now the ban. Is that or they're appealing? I guess they're appealing it. And so while they're appealing it, they can potentially play because yeah, Oklahoma State was not supposed. To, yeah, um, for stars, it's appeal against the postseason ban is still a going concern, making them eligible as the case remains unresolved so essentially as long as it's still in the appeals process they could play but if the ncaa came out tomorrow and said nope we denied your appeal they can't get in either way but hmm. i would love to see kate cunningham in the tournament i think we've said that from uh, day be one awesome. Be awesome he's awesome yeah and texas I mean, tech is a, like no they're in yeah. i mean they're, they're gonna get five at least you know and then if kansas messes around and starts to win here like they are uh, towards the end of the season they are they're in too Kansas is, their net is 20, like Texas Tech is at 15th in the net. Kansas is 21st. Texas yeah. is 22nd. Like, Oklahoma we, State's 39th. What are we talking about? All these teams are I'm in. very surprised. Yeah, I don't who wrote this article all the way, but <laughs> it's Big weird. East now. Now, the Big East, I think I actually agree with. Should, well, not, um, but should be in. Like Villanova and Creighton are locks. What are we talking yes. about? They're locks. 
Like Villanova's 13 and three. They're eight and two. What are we talking about? Should be in. Like, no, they're in. And then they have, they don't even have these teams as the should be, and they have a work to do. Seton Hall, Xavier, Connecticut, St. John's, which I actually agree with. Like, you know, those they do, they have work to do, you know, but like Seton the Hall. The athletic is scared to commit. They're, they're they scared, scared to commit. They're scared to dive in. They, they don't want to make UConn took a loss yesterday, so that doesn't help. Uh, Xavier, and Xavier hasn't played like at all, really. I mean, they've played, they play, they hadn't played since January 30th. And then they played the 13th and the, they played Saturday and Tuesday and they lost to UConn and St. John's, which didn't do any favors. They have five games scheduled left. They're sitting at what 11 and four and four and four in the conference. Their best win is probably Oklahoma. It's their only top 50 Ken Palm win. The next best win is Toledo. So they have chances. They play Butler, Providence, Creighton, Georgetown, Marquette. But there, like I said, that is that's the definition of like work to do. So. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all right, let's uh, go to the Big Ten. Um, the locks are Michigan, Illinois, Ohio State, Iowa. Agreed. Should be in Wisconsin, Purdue, Rutgers. I think, oh man, I think Wisconsin and Purdue are probably locks, and then Rutgers should be in. So this one, I I somewhat agree with. And then yeah, work to do. I mean, Indiana. Minnesota is, not- is the most confusing team of all. Yeah. It is. It is. And Michigan, Michigan State's not even on here, and they just beat Indiana last night. Um, but or Maryland. I don't think Michigan State gets in. I, I don't think yeah. Michigan State does, but Minnesota is 57th in the net. They just have – they have 15 strings of schedule. They just have some really good wins, but then they have, like, games where they've just gotten blown out. You know, you know, Rutgers argument and, and look, I get it, but this, this always happens every year. You know, Ruck, big 10 has been screaming all year. We're the best conference. We're the best conference. And Rutgers is eight and eight in the best conference. So their, their, their argument is going to be, if you can win eight games and let and if they finish, you know, 10 and eight or um, whatever, like if you have a winning record in the big 10, you're, you're going to the tournament. There's no way you can't go. This in is, I, well, maybe you have to look this up. I agree. I agree with you. And this is maybe something that you have to, that we have to like look up. Because right now, I don't think that I don't. If you if selection still happened today, I don't think that Minnesota would be in. I don't think so either. How, how are they even talking the last, about? When was the last team? When was the last time that a team had three wins over top six teams? I know. And didn't get in. I know. They beat so- Michigan. They beat Ohio State, and they beat Iowa. Um, and like at the time, like they were, yeah. And then, but the problem is they've lost. Six of their last eight. Um, the only two wins are over Nebraska and Purdue at home. They lost to Maryland twice. They lost to Purdue. They lost to Rutgers. They lost to Indiana. They lost to Illinois. Now they end a little easier. They get Northwestern at home, which they should win. They get Nebraska on the road, which they should win. They go at Penn State and then they go home against Rutgers. So I put Rutgers in obviously oh, way over Minnesota, but this is what's this will be a great test of like what does the committee value because they have the marquee wins. They've played tough teams. They've beaten good, good teams. Um, I, I just can't believe we're talking about Penn state as like being on the bubble. They're seven and 11 and four and 10. Like, let me, let me promise you something. And trending if, down. If they've Duke, lost four of their last five. If Duke wins three of their last four and there's an, and, and Penn state wins a couple, like it's not close. Like they're they're yeah. gonna bring Duke in over a team like Penn State. Like it's just how it's gonna. I need be. Rutgers in it though. I need Rutgers. We need in Rutgers. It. Um, we need Rutgers Indiana in will it. be Indiana. Like this is gonna be really interesting because they're they're up and down. They win some. They lose. They they're they're every other losing to Michigan State at home hurts them a lot. I think. Um, but they play at Rutgers. 
They play home against Michigan. They play at Michigan State, and they play at Purdue. They could easily lose all four of those games. No doubt. And then is Archie Miller on the hot seat? There are already no. people that are. No, no, he can't be. He can't be. I don't know. He has some amazing uh, ATOs, man. I, I love. Yeah, I, I, I think he's got some good stuff. But all right, let's go to the pack. Let's go to the Pac-12. Oh, yeah. um, I forgot. I thought we were done. I thought I forget about the Pac-12. To be honest, I know. And well, we have the Pac-12 um, and the SEC really quick. I and mean, we're fans of USC. We both like USC. I know. So it should be, and they have USC and Colorado. Work to do UCLA, Oregon, Stanford. Um, I mean, USC is a lock. They're eighteen and three. They're they're going yep. to the tournament. Um, Colorado probably will too. They're sixteen and seven, ten and six, and UCLA. Like, look, like there's no way a team that goes 11 and three in conference doesn't get in. It, it It's just not how life works. Yep. You can't. The only problem is their strength is both of their, and it's because they play in a weak conference. Their strength of schedules are so bad. It's bad. 78, but their net is still 14th and 20th. Yeah. And you can't fault a team for winning games in a bad conference. Otherwise, then we would especially do that in a pandemic. Gonzaga, and we would especially do that. In a, exactly. And especially in a pandemic when, it's been so hard to even get in a lot of those non-conference games. There's so many unpredictable things. Yeah, you play the team in front of you and you win, and, and that's good enough. I don't have really any qualms with the No, practice. I don't. I mean, UCLA, I could care less about. Oregon, like, conference is boring right now, to be honest. It is. Like, it is. we've tried. We've tried. We even had a second, like, is this is the, is the Pac-12 back? I can't get in. If you asked a random, a casual basketball fan, is Colorado good? I guarantee, <laughs> like, I don't know if anyone could give you an answer. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they could. Um, all right, we'll wrap. We'll wrap up the episode with the SEC. Uh, they have one lock with Alabama, and then should be in Tennessee, Arkansas, Missouri. Yeah, I mean these are real. These are tough. Missouri is the toughest. Thirteen and six, and six and six in the SEC. But again, strength of schedule. Strength of schedule is number six in the country. So it's tough. It's tough, you know, and, I mean, and like you like you just said, this is really going to put to the test of, um, you know, what the committee values. This, I mean, it, LSU, I would like to see LSU in, even though I'm not a fan of Will Wade, they're kind of a fun team. And I think they have like, they're, they're fun to watch. I love Cam Thomas and Trent Walker. Like they, they're a team that I don't know, they're a second weekend team by any means, but I think they've won three in a row now. Um, not against great team. They, Beat. And then I would rather have, and this is, they're the, they have a six, LSU is the sixth best offense in the country. Um, they've, they're, they're winning well, they're playing well. They have a couple of bad losses, but then Tennessee, like Tennessee, it's like everyone, we almost anointed them for a while, whereas they just got blown out by 15 at home to Kentucky. Mm-hmm. They lost by 13 to LSU. They lost to Mississippi um, and they play. But the thing is, this is, it'd be interesting as Tennessee, Fifth best defense, 25th in Ken Palm. They've got good wins. They beat Colorado. They've beaten Canada. They beat these teams. They play Vanderbilt and Auburn, both on the road. I think you win those two games, you lock it up. I mean, I think they're, I think they're, I don't want to say they're a lock, but they, they'll get in. But I'm not, like, I, I would rather have some of these teams that are playing better now than, than them. Yeah. Florida is a, a conundrum, too. You know, they're 10 and 6, 6 and 5. And it I don't get Florida. Like- they I don't get, get Florida. Yeah, I don't think they get themselves. It's tough. Like they they'll like win four in a row and then have a horrible loss. And you know, it's I don't yeah. I don't think they're in right now. Um, yeah. But then, they they did beat Tennessee and West Virginia. So yeah, they did. That's something. The last thing we'll I know we said we'll end on SEC. Just a glance over these mid majors. Obviously, Gonzaga and Houston are locks. Yep. Loyola Chicago, I think, is a lock as well. Like I think even if they 
were to lose the Missouri Valley to like Drake, um, they would still get in. They're sitting at, I think they're 10th in Ken Palm right now. Um, and their only loss in conferences to, to Drake and to Indiana State. Um, I think Loyola Chicago's in. I don't know, like any of these others, like it's hard to tell. It's really, right. really hard to tell. Yeah. Um, Drake's good. I think VCU's good. BYU, like as as much as I like want to have them in and everything, like I know Gonzaga is another animal and a beast on their own. Like BYU right now is their 20th in Ken Palm, but, and they got, they lost by 11 to Gonzaga at home. Like their best, they beat San Diego state outside of that. They have no other top 50 wins. Yeah. So, it's but I, it's, I, see, I think you it's put just, a 17 and five BYU team in, or do you put a, a whatever Florida, or a Minnesota? Penn, not, yeah. A Wisconsin. Yeah. I mean, like, they're always going to pick, the middle to bottom big 10 ACC teams yeah, versus yep. like you're saying, we have the argument every year. Is it strength of schedule? Is it play like who you can play And this more than ever? Now it's even more like, it's like juggling a million different factors. Yeah. And I don't I think, think strength of schedule can be, I think that's like the last thing on the list because you just have no clue who you were going to be able to play this year. So well, Chicago's 151st. Yeah. But, see, that's what I'm saying. but they got what? 18 wins. 17 and four as of two days. So I guess 18 now. Yeah. And so 14 to account, they'd be 11th net, but 151st strength of schedule. Like I think more than any time ever, and this will only be a one year thing is like wins matter more than anything, not who yeah. you beat or when you beat them, you won, you won. Like that's it. Especially yeah. for the mid majors. Like, you know, what if, what if you're uh Ohio U and you had two buy games and you couldn't play them? So now your strength yeah. schedule stinks. Dude, Ohio U hasn't – Ohio U, I think, is going to be locked into the four seed in the MAC, and they haven't played in, like, weeks and don't know if they will play in weeks. I think Court yeah. Street's probably eating them up. But, um, yeah. I mean, they, they're – I think they're, like, seven and four in conference. I think everyone else has played, like, 15 games. They have played, like, 11. Um, but the only – I would do want to end on this. I do – we talked about before. JMU Dukes are on – have been on an absolute tear. They are eight and one in conference. I think for the first time in my life, this latency there – um tied for first in the conference in the CAA they got hit they didn't get to play this week they have two games left against Drexel um I want to give them their roses now because their best player like broke his kneecap this week and is out oh. for the rest of the season he's got Matt Lewis who's been absolutely tearing it up he's a senior he's probably like going to be potentially ACC player of the year I think he's like leading one of the all-time leading scores in Jamie history and yeah shout out to Johnny injury. Kremens baby He's an ending injury, but want to give them their roses now because that we talk about turnarounds, Dennis Gates. I mean, this JMU team, I don't know what they were last year. They were, let's see, nine and 21 last year. They were, yeah, probably something similar the year before. Um, they are 13 and five, eight and one in the conference. Um, hope they, hope they get in, um, uh, in the tournaments at their brand new arena. So yeah, that's um, awesome. happy for them. But we'll see. They're deep, so I mean, they're gonna have to make up for the. They've also have um, is um, uh, Rod Strickland's son. All these kids, all these guys that we grow like we see with um, their kids that are playing now. Rod Strickland's son, absolute dog. So shout out to the Dukes. That was this is probably our longest episode in a long time. Shout out to us. Yeah. NBA top shot. Yeah, NBA top shot will do that to you. 
Um, all right, we'll catch you guys next Sunday for episode 72. Until then, keep the ball bouncing. Lately, I've been feeling like this is what I've been working towards. If you ain't trying to be the boss and tell me what you're working for. Certain doors are closed, but now they opening up. Celebrating with some shots, maybe poke on a cup. Pulls, plus Russell's up next, and I got this. Crazy like Britney and the love so toxic. Got a wall up, I'm trying to infiltrate a conscious. Taking 12 shots like where the cops is. Come on.